Hi there, this is Ben, and you're listening to the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with MDs, CEOs, and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. It's my gift to you, and it's totally free. This week, we have another of our special medley episodes. You're about to hear from five highly successful leaders, all sharing their first-hand advice, their hard-won advice, and their top tip for when you're about to step up into your next leadership role. Specifically, I asked each and every one of them this question. What is the main piece of advice you would give to someone stepping in to their very first senior leadership or director level role? Before we get into this episode though, folks, do head over to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com forward slash online courses, where you can sign up for my 10 for 10 leadership course. It's totally free, it's bite-sized, and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges I get asked about. It gets consistently great feedback, so I know that you're going to get tremendous value from it when you do sign up. Plus, we have just updated it and added in some new audio resources for you too. So do make sure you go and check that out right now. And we've also popped the link into the show notes so you can simply scroll down, pause this episode, click on it and sign up right now. But now, and without any further delay, let me introduce the very first guest on this week's medley episode. And first up is Simon Ursel, the founder and managing director of Tyler Grange, giving his take on this week's question. Simon, what would you say is one main piece of advice that you would give to someone who is getting ready to step into their very first senior level role, first director role, or even their first sort of MD role? Um, Try and enjoy it and try not to worry. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just really try and try and have a good time. I think you forget that. I, I, I see it. I see it everywhere I go. When you're talking to people in leadership positions, they get stressed, worried, concerned. Every little things seem big, don't they? You know, the decisions that you're making appear to be big ones. So yeah, but the absolute, if you can, is try and get yourself help and support so that you don't worry about things because you'll be so much better at your job if you don't. And you mentioned help and support there. And you said, try not to worry, try and have fun. Easier said than done, right? Have you got any other top tips for how you've managed to do that? Because talking to you for the last 40 minutes or so, you sound like a guy who's not necessarily got it nailed, but is doing pretty well on that one. So what, what advice would you share there? I haven't got it nailed at all, but I work really hard. I think being emotionally fit is as if not more important than being physically fit. Um, and it takes work. So I go into the gym. I see a counsellor once a week. I work with our psychologist at work once a month and I practice mindfulness every day. And I've got a mindfulness coach who I talk to once a fortnight um, who helps set that up. And uh, I treat that as a really important part of being able to perform at my absolute best is being mentally incredibly fit. Sometimes the small things stress me out. But generally speaking, I'm pretty good now at remaining calm, smiling, having a good time and realising what's important. 
and I don't know how much time you've got here, but my backstory about why I, my mental health journey is a pretty um, is a pretty big one because I back in 2015 my son was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given given two weeks to live and he survived. He's fine. He's alive now. He's 22 years old and doing incredibly well. So it's a good story, but it was a very traumatic one at the time because the um, the doctors made a mistake and uh, the diagnose he was misdiagnosed um, but my wife and I didn't find out for three months and so I went into a fairly downward spiral with my mental health so I was forced to work on it because I was I was in an incredibly bad place and it really affected Tyler Grange Tyler Grange as a business really struggled while I was out I was effectively out because I couldn't do anything I was in a really bad way um, but having worked on that and become much more uh, aware of mental health and the importance of it and why it actually really matters and we all ignore it to, in the main we ignore it anyway uh, I now work on myself quite a bit mentally to make sure that I am fit emotionally and able to cope with things I feel that now if something like that were to happen I'd be much better prepared and able to deal with it than I was then because I basically fell apart I was I was unable to work for quite some time so that's why I say don't sweat the small stuff because they are small things that you're sweating over, almost certainly. Um, it's not life and death generally. Very few of us are dealing with life and death issues unless we're, unless we're working in, in healthcare or the, or the military or something like that. The sorts of issues that we are worrying about aren't that big. So, um, But it's very, very difficult to see that without help and support. So work on that. You know, you'd go to the gym, you'd go and you'd you'd get somebody to give you some advice on nutrition and you probably read a lot about that people do a lot of cycling now don't they and there's a lot of fitness around the physical health but your mental health is probably more important being mentally unfit is going to hurt you a lot more quickly than being physically unfit is so yeah that's why one of the reasons why we're so interested in Tyler Grange is because I'm really interested in it because of that experience it shouldn't take that kind of experience for you to think about those things should it so it's uh yeah that's i mean uh, i could go on about that four hours but fundamentally i know the benefits of being mentally fit and being emotionally fit and working on that on yourself and supporting your business the benefits are huge we i mean we've proved it it's uh it'll, it'll affect your bottom line if that's what you care about It'll, it'll affect your bottom line dramatically if you take it seriously. Simon, thank you so much for sharing that. That was, yeah, really appreciate you, you sharing that. I think that's very profound what you what you shared or certainly feels very profound to me because as we are recording this little excerpt, it's about six weeks since I lost my very best friend of over 20 years to, to suicide as a result of a short battle oh, with, with, with his with his mental health and what you've just shared there has given me a little nudge to go and do a few things that I've been thinking about doing and actually talking to you in the main episode as well has really given me the energy inspiration to start putting in a plan to take my business to, to a four day week, but doing it in a very planned structured way as, as you've done. So yeah, thank you so much yeah. for, for sharing what you've shared. I think it's, I, I literally could not agree more with everything you've just said so so thank you that's oh, marvelous yeah it's important 
Next up on this week's medley is Kelly Swingler, who is a burnout prevention strategist and coach. And she gives her unique take on this question, which, as you would suspect, focuses in on looking after yourself as a leader so that you can look after others. Kelly, as a former high-flying senior executive and one, as you discussed in the the main episode, episode 119, who's experienced burnout twice, I believe, what would you say is your main piece of advice that you would give to somebody stepping into their very first senior leadership role or their first sort of director level role? It's the three things really that I talk about in everything that I do, burnout prevention, burnout recovery, career progression, all of those things, three three things really from, from me. The first is to get really, really clear on who you are, right? Who are you as a leader? Who are you as an individual what drives you? What motivates you? What are your values? What are your strengths? If you can get really, really clear on that, the, the right organizations will bring more of that really great stuff out of you. And the wrong organizations will help you highlight that you are in the wrong place. So I think get really clear on who you are. Ensure that you set, implement and communicate your boundaries right? These are the hours that I work. These are the times that I am available. This is what I will do. This is what I won't do. Get really clear on that, communicate it to everybody and stick by it. And then thirdly, ensure that you are always taking regular time out for you to keep your energy high, to reflect, to recharge, to rest, whatever it is that you need, but ensure that you have got time in your diary for you every day, every week, every month, and every year. So three things. Who are you? What are your boundaries? And what's your time out? Love that. Love all of those. I especially love your your first point around getting really clear about who you are as, as a leader. That's probably one of the strongest themes that's come out of this podcast from interviewing so many MDs and CEOs now. And kind of listeners have probably heard this this theme come through. Like so many of those people have said, I stepped into the MD or CEO chair and I started trying to be somebody I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And after yeah. a period of time, I realized that it, it, it wasn't working. I wasn't performing. I wasn't enjoying it. So I just stopped and started being me. And at that point, everything clicked into place. Or to your point, I realized this wasn't the job or the organization for for, for me. Yeah, I think, I think that's the ultimate stuff. And I think if we look at a lot of like management and leadership development, right? A lot of that is not telling us, right, Ben, how can you be the best leader possible? A lot of it is saying, right, Kelly and Ben, how can we get you to be exactly the same leaders by ticking this framework and saying that this is what you need to do? Well, you and I will likely have very, very different styles and very different strengths and very different ways of communicating and bringing people along on that journey with us. And if you're trying to put us both in the same box and say, as long as you tick these things off, you'll be a great leader, that's not saying, right, Ben, what's the best part of you that we can pull out even more? Kelly, what's the best part of you that we can pull out even more? And I do think the earlier on that we can get that, and that I mean, that this is something that I'd love to see us starting in school, right? Who are you? I want to see that question. Who are you asked throughout school, throughout colleges, throughout university, and then when we start to, to get into the workplace? Um, because I think that would solve so many of the issues that that we have in workplaces and so many of the issues that that we see with with leaders, right? Who are you? That should be the question that we ask in everybody. It's a question, I think, that 
lots of people just really struggle to answer. And if you ask somebody, who are you? I don't know if you've noticed this. They often answer a completely different question. They'll answer the question as, what do you do? Say, who are you? Say, oh, I'm a HRD for this sort of organization. And then they might say, oh, I'm a I'm a husband or a, or a dad as well. But normally they answer by saying what they do. But that's not who you are. That's just the job you happen to be doing at the moment, right? It's a really difficult question that we never really, we don't pause. All right. Well, we're never encouraged to do it. I, I, was, um, I was interviewed on a, on a podcast a few weeks ago and we were, we were kind of talking about this stuff. And I think it is, if you think about it from a very young age, and you will have likely asked your kids the same question as I have, but from a very young age, we start asking our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And throughout their lives as they grow, the biggest question that we seem to answer is, what do you want to, like, what do you want to do? Right? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? I want to be a nurse, a teacher, a firefighter, a scientist, or whatever. And we focus so much on that. When do we ever ask, right, who I, like, what would really light you up? What would make you feel incredible right what do you really enjoy doing like we don't have a lot of those conversations the question is what do you want to be when you grow up and because we ask the b question and associate it with a job of course then when it gets to the point in our careers it's like oh you know hi ben who are you oh well this is like then we reel off the job title because we've not been told to answer it any other way they must be asking about my job because that's the only bit that matters but interestingly again i think when we see burnout occur or when we see people you know I'm not sure that I'm in in the whole kind of midlife crisis camp but when we see people have that that real kind of crossroads moment that is on my like is this it like who am I a lot of the time that happens because we've lost our job or we've walked away from our job or our job is not giving us that fulfillment anymore and we don't know who we are without the job I think that becomes the biggest driver. Like without the job, we do not know who we are. And yet if we started it the other way around, this is who I am and this is the job that I do, literally would change the world. I genuinely think it would change the world. Listening to you there, Kelly, reminds me of uh, a John Lennon quote, which is probably a lovely place to end this little medley clip. And it goes something along the lines of um, John Lennon said, when he was a little boy, his mum taught him that the the purpose of life was to be happy. And then one day he went into school and I think it was his careers teacher or his teacher asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. And John Lennon answered happy, at which point the teacher said to him, no, John, you don't understand the question. To which John Lennon allegedly replied, said, no, sir, you don't understand life. It's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. That's the way we need to do it all. So yeah, exciting stuff. And let me now introduce Joshua Berry, the founder and MD at Econic, giving his take on this week's question. Joshua, as a founder and a managing director yourself, what would you say is your main piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's about to step into their first leadership role, either as a director level or maybe as an MD or CEO? The 
first advice that I'd give to them is I'd actually draw a little pyramid. <laughs> and I would say that there are times throughout your career that you've been rewarded for what you know and how you led and, and uh, how courageous you were and all of those things. At some point, you start to go back down that hill and it's less about the competency or what you knew. And it becomes more about how you are enabling other people to be able to do their best and finding answers through others and creating courage opportunities for other people. And so to, to really evaluate and, and start to understand that you have an evolution of your growth. And, and it isn't probably like your first supervisor job that because you knew the job that you are leading really well, that's why you're now the supervisor in this role. At some point, you have to start to let go of some of that. Wow. I love that. And would you have a tip for how you start to let go? Because that's the, that's the challenge, right? That's the real, real challenge. Many of us know we should, but being able to act on that insight can be tough. Yes, I'll, I'll, give, I'll, give, a, I'll give a conceptual and a practical one. The, the conceptual one is uh, you do need to stop and ask yourself in those situations, especially to when you see somebody doing something that you wouldn't have done, creating space for yourself to pause and say, why am I stepping into this space? What, what is it that needs to happen here? The other practical one is reflect on as you're going into that new leadership role, what objectives, expectations, outcomes are you being measured on? And how much do those things rely upon you being uh, extremely knowledgeable and competent in that role versus you leading others to do that thing? A uh, small example on that, when I went from a, being a salesperson to a sales leader, I fought long and hard about still having a sales quota myself. The, the boss wanted me to keep a sales quota and help grow and develop the team uh, in their sales quotas. And I said, there's a natural tension that's going to happen in any of that. I want to get rid of that expectation of it. We'll figure out whatever we need to do. But the system is going to work against the natural behavior that I think we're trying to do here, which is grow and develop and, and maximize the potential of this team. Hey, quick one for you. I want to make sure that you know about my 10 for 10 leadership program. It's an online program that's totally free. It's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I frequently get asked about. It's also a course that gets consistently great feedback. You can find out more by heading to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com. Our next soundbite comes from Cass Dunn, who is a clinical and coaching psychologist who yet again gives a completely different take on this week's medley question. So here's what Cass has to say. Cass, as a clinical and coaching psychologist, what is the main piece of advice you would give to somebody about to step into their very first senior leadership role or their first MD or CEO post? I think that I would have to say my advice is to back yourself and to remember that everybody's winging it. I think there can be a tendency to think that everybody else has got it all together, particularly based on what I, the work that I do with imposter syndrome. And I think the more we can remember that actually nobody's got it all together and kind of have a little bit of self-compassion and be willing to not know it all, all at once, then the easier time you'll have. Oh, I, I, I love that, Cass, for so, so many reasons. Um, 
I think your point there about backing yourself and this idea that everyone is probably winging it a little bit, like this show is is evidence that that's the case. Like we had so many MDs and CEOs come on who talk about exactly that in those first days, days and months. So, so yeah, if you want evidence that that's true, kind of this show is it. Interesting. And then I, I, I love that bit as well about um, like you don't need to have, have all of the answers. No. Um, that's such an imposter thing. Like I've got to be across everything immediately or I'm not cut out for this job. They've made a mistake hiring me. So yeah. yeah, you don't have to you don't have to be across it all all at once. It's fine. Like nobody expects that. No, but we think they do, don't we? We think we we, we think they do. Yeah. Um, and it makes me realise actually, I'm very fortunate that that was one of the very first leadership lessons I I, I learned, and I learned at age age fifteen. I was a young boy at school, um, getting ready to to hopefully join the army as an army officer. And I remember the day really clearly. Um, I was being interviewed by a, a major from the army recruiting team, sort of interview and sort of coaching, preparing me to go and do a very traditional sort of free day, like assessment center, really. Mm. And I sat in the school careers office with him. And one of the things he said was, he was describing how I'd be the appointed leader on a very classic sort of command task with planks and barrels, getting people and ammunition boxes across a big ravine, that sort of stuff. And he said, you'll be given your, your, your briefing and told what your task is. I think you'll get five minutes planning time and then three minutes to, to brief your team. And he said, said, Ben, at the end of your five minutes planning time, said, if you haven't got a clue what to do, said, that is absolutely fine. You then give the brief to your team, ask what ideas they've got, and then yeah. you, you lead from there. And it just stuck with me. And actually... Now, having worked with so many leaders who who think it is their job to have all of the answers, yeah. it just makes me so so grateful that I had that experience. Probably in those formative years. Yeah, good I guess. advice to have early. Mm. Brilliant, Cass. Love your answer. Thanks very much for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me. And last, but by no means least, as they say, here is remote working expert Kevin Eckenberry giving his thoughts on this week's topic. Kevin, as a founder and business owner yourself for many years, what is your main piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is about to step into their first senior leadership role, maybe their first director level role or that of a MD or CEO? You need to schedule time, prioritize time to think. There will be a hundred priorities, which is an oxymoron in itself. But your calendar will get full. It will be easy for you to let it get full. It will be easy for you to believe that that's the job, the full calendar. You need to make time to think. That might include reading, but I'm not, to, I'm not just talking about like inputting other interesting, useful stuff, industry or otherwise. You need time to think and process. Your team... Your organization needs you to be thinking bigger, farther out, and more positively. And you need to make time to think. That's really interesting, Kevin. And again, we've got a, a shared belief and, and view around this. It's something I'm incredibly passionate about and talk to, to my clients about a lot. If I'm sharing this concept of thinking time with with groups who are maybe um, at middle level of leadership and management, I often get asked 
the the obvious question in some respects, but one that's almost in, impossible to answer because it's a how long is a piece of string question. But nonetheless, l- let me pass that question on to you because I'm curious how, how you answer this. How much time do you spend doing that? How much time do, how much time should I be thinking? Well, there's two questions there. How much time do I and how much time should I? Uh, so my first answer yeah. is probably sometimes not enough. I, I think that if you've never been, if you haven't really been doing it, then you should probably start with 15 minutes, right? Because at some point you're going to like, I don't know what to do. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Right? Because we think that our value is in activity, but our value is in accomplishment and accomplishment will come by that thinking. So I would probably say, start with 15, but try to get yourself to 30, 45 or 60 minutes a day. When that fits in your day will depend a lot on your your life and your lifestyle and maybe if you're leading virtually where your team members are. But also it needs to be, if at all possible, in what I would call your power time. When are you at your best? For me, that's early in the morning. So I try to do my thinking time early in the morning. Some people you will say, will read, you read and say, you need to do this first thing in the morning, you need to do it last thing in the day. I say, yeah, I could make that point, but ultimately it comes down to sort of your rhythm and your, when are you at your best? Like for you, maybe that's three o'clock in the afternoon. That would not be when it would be for me. Yeah. Love that. Maybe the time for you is to have that time to reflect and think, um, after you've had a bunch of input from the day, that's not the best time for me, but if I haven't done it, I, I still may try to do that. Right. And I would also say this, that, while I have tried maybe every kind of digital way to enhance my thinking that exists, and I actually have a tool that I'm starting to use now, you need to have a journal. Because here's the thing, thinking is fuzzy. Words bring clarity. A journal does not mean it has to be a diary. My grandmother kept one for 70 years or whatever, and every day you could read what she, you know, I always, when I was a kid, I wanted to go back and read what she wrote the day I was born, right? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. If that works for you, great. What I'm saying is you need to be able to to sketch, to doodle, to write things down because words bring clarity. Love that. Yeah, love that. As you're talking about starting with 15 minutes there, Kevin, it reminded me of a quote that you often hear in relation to meditation. I don't know who first said it, if indeed anybody claims this quote, but I once heard somebody say that if you think you don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes, then you need to meditate for 20. It just resonated with me when he was talking about planning, right? If you think you've not got 15 minutes to stop and think, you probably need to stop and think for 30 minutes. So let me say one other thing. Yes, 100%. Let me say something else. You use the word meditation. I mentioned the Bible earlier, so I, I might use the word prayer. But here's the point. When I say thinking time, I'm not counting that. Hmm. Yeah. Same. Like, you know, if you if you if you want to do the med- meditate do meditation because that word sort of freaks some people out, gets some people excited and freaks some people out. Like yeah. I use the word thinking because that's what I mean, right? And now they they can be could be the same. I'm not saying they can't be, but what I'm saying is you need time to open up your brain. You need time to to think about the bigger picture. You need time to review your goals. You need time to reflect on how things are going, what's working and what's not. You just need time to think, right? And if meditation is in there, prayer is in there, cool. But I would actually say second bucket is what I'm talking about here. I'm with you. Exactly the same. Yeah, 100%. 
But folks, that wasn't actually last and by no means least because to finish up, I thought I would share with you three top tips from me on this particular topic around what to do when we are stepping up into a more senior leadership role. So number one from me is really about making sure you continue trying to be the very best version of yourself as a leader, as opposed to a poor imitation of a leader you've worked for in the past, or perhaps trying to copy and be some sort of clone of a celebrity CEO you've read about or seen on the TV. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you might well have spotted one of the themes that emerges in lots of the conversations from the MDs and CEOs that I've interviewed. I've certainly noticed this theme. And many of those leaders who I've had on the show have talked about the moment when they stepped into that first MD or CEO role. And they were trying to be somebody other than who they truly were. They were trying to replicate or copy another, another leader. And they did this with very good intentions. But what they found was that things just didn't feel right. It was a little bit harder than they felt it should have been. They perhaps weren't enjoying the new role as much as they thought they would. And so many of them talk about this point where they go, do you know what? I need to make a change. I need to just be me, but the most genuine, authentic version of me. And when they started to do that, everything started to shift. They started enjoying work a lot more. They started having a lot more positive impact and delivering all the results that they knew deep down they were capable of achieving. So you see, it can be very dangerous to try and replicate another leader, which is why on all of the leadership programs that I run, one of the first things I do is spend a lot of time working with individuals to help them understand their core values, their beliefs, their purpose, and what they truly stand for. Whereas on many other leadership programs, And this isn't to speak ill of them because I've done this myself in the past before. But on many leadership programs, it's common to start with asking the question, asking people to think about a famous leader, a leader they admire. And certainly in the UK, people will talk about people maybe like Sir Richard Branson, uh, the late Margaret Thatcher, former prime minister. And then what continues to happen is we sort of deconstruct these famous leaders and try and copy or replicate them. But it's a pretty flawed approach for a number of reasons. Number one is we're not that person. We have different values and beliefs, so trying to be them is unlikely to work for us. They had different experiences in their life that formed them as a leader. So again, trying to copy them probably isn't going to work. And the other thing that's very different is Those leaders who we're trying to replicate, maybe because we've seen them interviewed, heard them on a podcast, or perhaps read their book, their sort of prime time as a leader was often sometime in the past, and conditions were different, market conditions were different. It was a difficult, different, sorry, political and social time. So again, trying to copy what they did isn't necessarily going to work. So back to my first tip. Focus on being the very best version of yourself as a leader, as opposed to a poor imitation of a leader you've worked with in the past or a celebrity CEO. Yes, of course, you can try and learn from these people. 
But make sure you're taking the bits that fit with who you truly are, not trying to be somebody completely different. So my second tip is to remember that as a leader, you do not need to have all of the answers. This again is another theme from the podcast and it's a lesson that I feel very fortunate to have learned right at the start of my leadership career. In fact, I learned this when I was 15, being interviewed and coached by a major from the army recruitment team, getting me ready to go and attend the army officer selection board. Please remember this. It is not your job as a leader to be an expert in every aspect of what your team, department or organisation does. In fact, there's nothing more frustrating or certainly there's little more frustrating than working for somebody who pretends to have all of the answers when it's plain for us to see that they don't, especially when we have got years of experience ourselves. So it's not your job to have all of the answers. It's not your job to be an expert in every aspect of what your team, department or organisation does. But it is your job to work towards becoming an expert in leadership so that you can create the conditions for success. So you can enable others to succeed and flourish and release their full potential. And a little sub tip here, almost tip to be, if you like, is that I think as leaders, we should be spending just as much time learning about the people we've got the privilege and responsibility to lead as we do learning about what it is that they do. And I think when we do this, it really does enable us to tap into people's expertise and make big requests of them when we really need to. And then my third tip for you when you're about to step into a bigger leadership role is to take your time. When we're stepping into a new role or joining a new organisation, it gives us a golden opportunity to look at things with fresh eyes, to look at things with beginner's eyes, if you like. It gives us the opportunity to ask the seemingly naive or stupid in inverted commas questions with confidence because we knew we're not expected to know and people expect us to be asking those questions but this is a fleeting opportunity right because as time passes it gets harder or it certainly feels harder to ask those questions so it's an opportunity that must not be squandered so to make this tip very actionable I encourage you to build a deliberate and detailed plan to understand everything about the business or team you're joining before rushing in and making a whole raft of changes. And remember, the plans that are in place when you arrive will likely be the result of months, if not years of hard work completed by your new team. So if you go in and throw all of those plans out the window in the first few weeks, that is almost certainly going to alienate your new team. I've seen it so many times, as have you, I'm sure, where a new leader comes into an organisation, scraps all the current existing plans, starts getting the team to work on something new, only five, six months down the line to say, oh, do you know what, can you dust off those old plans because actually they were really solid and my new ideas aren't going to work. And again, that's not to say 
When you're coming in as a leader, you can't bring new ideas and fresh thinking. Absolutely, you can. Just take time to understand the business team or department you're joining before making a raft of wholesale changes. That's it in terms of my tips for you. But I have just two quick things before you go. Number one, please remember to sign up for the free 10 for 10 leadership program that is designed to help you master some of the basics of great leadership. And number two, if you have taken value from this free podcast, please can you express your gratitude by sharing the link to the show with your friends and colleagues and giving the show a quick rating and review wherever you happen to be listening. It really does help and I really do appreciate it and enjoy reading all of your reviews. It gives me that boost of energy and motivation to keep bringing you more and more episodes and working with my team to do so. That's it for this episode though, folks. Look after yourself, look after those who've got the privilege and responsibility to lead. And until next time, lead on. Lead on.